0: Welcome to the TAGT Podcast. Come along as we work to connect the GT community and explore new ways to meet the unique needs of gifted individuals. This is the TAGT Podcast. This podcast was recorded at the TAGT Annual Conference, Gifted 22.
1: Hello and welcome to the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Fluchet. A special thank you to our sponsor, Renzulli Learning. Check them out and get your free trial at renzullilearning.com. Today we're chatting with the Assistant Professor of Education at Milligan University, Vicki Phelps. She's been involved in gifted education for 20 plus years and enjoys providing professional learning and consultation services to districts seeking to improve gifted practice. Dr. Phelps is the recipient of the 2021 NAGC Book of the Year Award with Emily Mofield. Recent books include successful online learning with gifted students and strength-based goal setting in gifted education. Vicki, welcome to the podcast.
0: I'm so excited to be here.
1: Yeah, We're glad you're here. Uh, and we're, we're recording this podcast here at Gift Ed 22. Have you had a great experience so far?
0: It has been wonderful. Like I know, whenever I come to Gift Ed, it's going to be an epic experience, and this year has just continued to deliver.
1: That's awesome. We're gonna cut that part out and replay it all the time because we're glad to hear that. Uh, you're and you're here doing a few different presentations, and we're so glad to kind of. Bring your expertise to the field, and we were talking a a little bit about that before the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got here?
0: Well, um, I've always been really active in in coming around to these conferences. Like I said, Texas is one of my favorite ones, Uh, but most notably, this last year, I've done work with Kara Lewis on strength based goal setting and gifted education, and our book just came out the end of October. So, through that, we have just had such a a warm welcoming in the gifted ed uh field because teachers want to to have these resources so that they can use um use them with their students to continue to move them forward in their learning and that's exactly what my work with Kara is are these mm-hmm. these resources on how do we support students in in their goal setting using their strengths and not just within our classroom but even once they leave our schools. You know, how are we building that student agency so that they are successful outside of school as well in their personal lives and even as they grow into adulthood?
1: So looking at these students trying to build goal setting kind of regulatory skills but not just doing it to accomplish something in the short term only, but also kind of preparing them when they get out there into the real world.
0: Absolutely. One of one of the things we talk about is, you know, so often goals are given to our students. And when we give goals to our students, whether it's by the end of this unit, you should do X, Y, and Z, or um, in the next competition, you should be you know, first place, or even for our twice exceptional students with their IEP goals that they might be working toward. When we give goals to our students, we're actually asking them to work at the lower end of Bloom's taxonomy. We're asking them to remember the goal, understand the goal, and apply the goal. So we started thinking, why why are we not working at the higher level of blooms, right? So mm-hmm. instead, we are really asking students to begin to analyze what do you know about yourself? What do you know about your strengths and your areas for growth? What barriers might be in front of you? Let's analyze that situation. Then how are we going to evaluate what resources do you have? What supports are in place? What criteria can you create for yourself to know your next steps? And then ultimately, how are we creating the goal from that? So even in that simple um, approach of using Blooms, just in that little piece of this, we automatically are building greater student agency and capacity in our students. And there's greater buy-in.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's a great example, too, of you know, you take something great like Bloom's, right, and, and everybody agrees, hey, this is, uh, this is meaningful, this is important, everybody's heard of it. But if you're operating on, the, on an end of it that is not provoking the level that kids are able to do, much less challenge them, especially with our gifted population. And, and that's maybe my follow-up question is, you know, why is that so particularly important for our gifted students? And then also you have a lot of work with 2E, which we'll get into here in a second as well, but why is it so important for them?
0: You know, I think they <clears throat> our gifted learners are, part of it is their asynchronous development for many of them. They um, they are able to really uh, embrace learning at such a high level. But a lot of them still are just an eight-year-old that's learning at a, you know, a 12th grade level or, right. or something like that. So the more that we can continue to support our gifted learners in their sense of self and their sense of identity on who they are, they hear the word gifted. And a lot of times that, that puts a, a lot of pressure on them. What does that mean? Okay, does that just mean I'm smart? And that means I need to do well all the time in everything. And I don't know how to navigate life if, if I don't know the answer right away. So one of the ways that we combat this is, well, let's talk about who you are, you know, at your, at your essence, I guess you could say. Um, and, and it's that know thyself kind of a piece like what do you know about yourself then how are you going to be able to communicate those needs to to move forward and then how are you going to apply that to the learning process so often goal setting and um to any listeners out there many of you might use smart goals smart goals have been in education and been such a uh well this is what you do with students with goal setting you know specific measurable attainable you know the whole thing but at no part in creating a SMART goal are students really tapping into what their need personally is for this goal. So if students don't connect, and we know when gifted students do not see the purpose behind what they're doing, it's like hoop jumping. So how can we connect this to them personally? That's a game changer.
1: Wow. I think, uh, I think several educators who were drinking their coffee listening to this are like, whoa, wait a second. I've been hammered with trying to do SMART goals for years, and this is a big aha moment of, hey, are we missing an opportunity, especially with the population of students that we're working with, to tie it into something that's more appropriate for them, it mm-hmm. sounds like.
0: Absolutely. And I'm not saying that those components of the SMART goals are not good. They right. are. But if we don't connect it and make it purposeful to the student and their personal experience and the context in which they live, then we're missing the target.
1: Wow. Very cool. And so goal setting is one of your presentations here. Um, and that's so cool. And, and and when you take this message to teachers, what is the response you typically get? And, and maybe what are some barriers that you have with teachers trying to implement this?
0: So. Teachers are very receptive. We have had a wonderful, wonderful um, just support for this work, Um, mostly because this work was born out of being teachers in gifted education. And we saw that students were struggling with, how do I set goals, whether it be an academic goal, a social-emotional goal. We had so many students who were underachieving. And literally, Kara Lewis and I went to the computer and we Googled to find any resources we could find to use in our classroom. And there just were not any. Yeah. So many wonderful resources on what goal setting is and you know that type of thing, but nothing we could use with our students. And so we literally sat down two years ago and said, how can we create this? And we knew that we wanted a strong foundation in gifted pedagogy. So we built this off of Gagne's differentiating model of giftedness and talent. Um, for, for those of you that, that are listening that may not be familiar with that, it, it, Gagne really takes a look at that our students are, are, are born with all of this um, potential but there are so many catalysts that can impact how those gifts are being able to be demonstrated mm-hmm. into their competencies and talents. And so we're taking a look at what are those factors that impact things. And it's environmental factors of our students' background experiences, their socioeconomic status, their interpersonal um, com, uh, communications with peers and teachers and parents and and all of those things, the educational programs that they're able to partake in, and then also that intrapersonal awareness in terms of their motivation, what do they value, what are their interests. Um, Goal setting is actually part of the DMGT as something that impacts how students can demonstrate their goal or their, their gifts into talents. And then there's also the developmental process component of the DMGT, which is showing how the importance of access to programming, how we format our lessons to be able to to really grow our students and and provide them a launching pad to show what they know. Mm. And then also um, just uh, the, the stages of learning and the engagement of students and that perseverance. There's all these different catalysts that can impact how students truly can demonstrate their gifts And too often, there are barriers in place for them. So once we knew that we were going to build from the DMGT, we actually started building resources um, that are focused on the know thyself, express thyself, and apply thyself in terms of first, finding out what are the student's strengths, um, both in interpersonal awareness and interpersonal skills. Um, And students take these assessments, and let me tell you, students, love like these aha moments, wow, I didn't even realize this. instead of somebody telling students, "Oh, you need to work on this right. or they are discovering it on their own, finding out what their strengths are. And in doing so, they actually um, they see these areas for growth and we're very specific that we don't call them weaknesses. because so many of our gifted students, feel as though a weakness is part of their identity and there's something wrong with them Mm. so instead we call them barriers because a barrier is like a hurdle a track star can use their strengths to run towards that barrier and overcome it and keep going so students really begin to learn how their strengths help them overcome their barriers and we continue to work on those areas their barriers we have we have resources that That teachers can use with students to grow them in those areas Mm -hmm. but it's all applied back to their learning process and then also just life in general
1: yeah wow that's amazing and I just love that y'all are using the word thyself I just feel (laughs) like that's that hooked me in it's like that's great Um, so can you tell us a little bit I mean you're, you're diving into it to a degree but let's say you're a teacher you're listening listening to this and you're like man I want to start to go down that road. I want to get plugged into these resources, or at least maybe take a half step in that direction. What advice would you give, and, or where would you send them?
0: Well, our book is a good place to book. start. <laughs> get the book. It's on <laughs> Amazon. Um, well, so. that's
1: good. That's an important way to, to let them know. Remember, that's uh, successful online lear- learning with gifted students is one of them. And strength-based goal setting in gifted education with Vicki Phelps and Kara Lewis.
0: Absolutely. And it it really is, um, while it's focused on goal setting, it's really addressing the the underachievement issue and the social emotional wellness and the student agency, really building that capacity in in our students to, to really make a difference in the world and moving forward. We've been using this for two years now since we've been developing it. And students are thriving. We've actually had some of our gifted students that have gone out to their friends and brought them in and said, tell them, tell, tell our friends about this because this <laughs> is making a difference. So that that's pretty exciting.
1: Very cool. Very cool. And so one thing you, you talked a little bit about earlier too is twice exceptional and what that looks like. How does that impact this work? And, um, again, if you're a teacher listening to this, what kind of words of advice would you have for them walking with, with this such an important population?
0: Oh, there's so many things that come to mind. Um, I think, First and foremost, we have to understand that um, I, I know many people in the field of uh, 2E know the phrase. It's not easy being green because twice exceptional learners have their strengths, and then they also have those those areas that are are, are more difficult for them. And so, if if you think of strengths as being blue, and their their kind of uh, their other exceptionality as being uh, yellow, when you put them together, you've got green, right? right. But we want to make sure that we're leading with um, the strengths versus the the deficit. We Mm -hmm. want to make sure that we are really leveraging those students' strengths to overcome those barriers that we were talking about. And these assessments that we have really continue to grow that that, uh, 2E student in their own understanding and empower them. Uh, Research has shown that our 2E learners, they know that they – they're wired a little bit differently. Um, for many of them, they, they feel frustrated by that. Um, I'm also the parent of a now mm-hmm. adult 2E student, and I remember when he was in middle school, he said, I feel like I have all these ideas in my head, and it's like my brain is a cage, and I just can't get them out. Wow. And so how do we help them? How do we support them in being able to share all those amazing ideas that are in there? in their minds, right? So um, there's through, through purposeful um, empowerment and goal setting, our 2E learners begin to take that ownership um, and recognize more of what their strengths are. Um, there's also different um, things that we need to consider with our 2E learners. Um, so many of our 2E learners, uh, a typical non-gifted uh, student who has an exceptionality uh, they, they go to a resource class and they are let's work on the skills let's work on the skills you know over and over because they need that repetition our 2e students they are we know that gifted learners think big idea first and then they work down to work on those skills if we have a 2e learner And we are telling them, let's work on that skill that's really hard for you over and over and over, without even first giving them the big idea of the Mm -hmm. concept that we're working on. Their their brain isn't wired that way. We have to think about them as gifted before we think of them as their other exceptionalities. Mm -hmm. Let's lead with what we know about their giftedness and leverage that to help them. So that through that reverse hierarchy of how we're addressing their needs, That is a game changer as well. And when we think about goal setting, we're not going to set one goal that is going to make um, a student with autism spectrum disorder not have autism spectrum disorder. We're not going to have a goal that we're going to set that a dyslexic student all of a sudden is going to be cured of dyslexia. But we can make small goals in terms of their areas of deficit um, by leveraging their strengths to address those. But even more importantly, we need to address the social emotional side of them as well. How are they going to deal with setbacks? When they start feeling frustrated, what are some some skills that they can use? So a lot of the goal setting for twice exceptional students needs to be on their self-regulation mm. and their social emotional uh, just wellness so that they are able to, to really tune in and focus and apply those strengths the way that we hope for them to.
1: So if you're a teacher, you know, if you're able to plug in and make some momentum with that self awareness and, and 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 facilitate that in your in your class, in your pull out or in your differentiation in your class, whatever, maybe the rest is gonna follow from there.
0: Absolutely. And and it takes time. Yeah. I mean, this is not something that's a, a magic wand that is just, you know, you, you wave it over somebody and all of a sudden, oh, they're not going to have a meltdown or, mm-hmm. oh, they, they abso- absolutely can adapt to change and problem solve and resolve conflict. Um, but over time, it's, it's growing them in those skills right. and it's not telling them what to do. They begin to recognize when they need to apply these things and, and move forward.
1: Yeah. I remember someone making that point to me um, in my grad school program of something like perfectionism. When you do certain things to address that in your classroom, you're not going to change the fact that they're a perfectionist, you're, you're equipping them on how to move forward with that. And so I could see that just being super powerful uh, for our twice exceptional kids, but really any gifted students in, in the sense of there's a lot that they're having to manage, whether it's overexcitabilities about certain things. And I love that illustration you shared of, of your kiddo of having so many ideas in their head. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we could be the, the, the person, the lesson that helps them uh, tackle that situation a little bit better.
0: Absolutely. As my son with that, his, his metaphor of the ideas in the cage, right? Yes. We can be the key to unlock that cage.
1: Yes. That's amazing. Very cool. Um, so I want to know a little bit more about you and your family and your background. Uh, you started as a teacher, I believe.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so, so tell so... me how
1: you went from teacher to a <laughs> award-winning uh, book at <laughs> NAGC.
0: You know what? I, I am a lifelong learner. I am super passionate about working with students and and just students are at the forefront of everything that I do in my life. So um, I started actually here in Texas, born, raised, went through right. um, school and, uh, and my elementary years were in Midland. My my secondary years were in Irving outside of Dallas and uh, Texas Tech graduates. So for our Texas listeners, um, this was <laughs> this is home for me, but uh, we ended up moving to Illinois for a while, where uh, where I continued in gifted education there. While I was up in Illinois, I was asked to open a, a gifted magnet school for a profoundly gifted population, wow. where I learned such a great deal in terms of not only, what it is to be a gifted classroom teacher, but all those other pieces that come into play, identification, yeah. um, structures to, you know, for the program, resources, integration of of concepts, so many um aspects there. And then uh, we ended up. My husband was transferred down to Tennessee. I continued in gifted education as a classroom teacher there. and uh, just, continued to grow with a wealth of knowledge and, uh, in, in landing there, I ended up moving into more of a gifted coordinator position where I led gifted services. And from that point, um, you know, during, during that I also had gone back and got my doctorate where my wow. research really started in motivation of gifted learners. And because I believe that really drives so much of their learning, um, But ultimately, uh, about two years ago, I made the leap into higher education. And from there, um, my my real goal now is to make sure that our pre-service teachers have exposure to understanding gifted ed. We have a lot of wonderful teachers who come back for their master's in gifted education, but they, they already know about gifted education. So many of our undergraduate students have never had exposure to, maybe there's one page in a book, and um, and most of those one pages in a book are outdated, <laughs> so really just, and they're thirsty, and they want to know more about this, so that's kind of where I'm currently at, but in the interim, I've, I've really, um, I, I've just kind of jumped into writing books and resources, and I've had the pleasure of working with Emily Mofield mm-hmm. and our work on uh, collaboration, and we have our new book in coaching and gifted education um, coming out in June. So it's already it's all already written and, and into the wow. publisher. So we're also excited about that.
1: And I appreciate you sharing because I think that's one of the beauties of, of TAGT and coming to a gifted ed conference or, or or being active in TAGT. You you get exposure to different people who have had different journeys and pathways within gifted education. And we have several people from very different gifted uh, service backgrounds within the state of Texas. You've got some uh, districts that have a multitude of people. You have other districts where it's one person who's got eight other jobs, and they've also been given gifted services. And so To hear your story hopefully is an encouragement to others that you could be in the classroom teaching at one point but then you could be working with researchers being a researcher writing books and helping others at a different point
0: that is something i would want to shout from the mountaintops (laughs) as a classroom teacher i i was doing research i i i was i was you know have have some research out in in peer-reviewed journals you know so often people are thinking that's just for professors no, like as teachers, we are the ones that are in the field. We, are the, we have our hand on the pulse of what is happening. Mm. It is not something that is reserved for, for those that are in higher education. And that includes presenting at Gift Ed. That's that right. in, you know, includes all of these wonderful opportunities where as teachers, um, teachers, you guys are the ones that are really um, making the change happen. So the more that you can take that leap of faith yourself and share your knowledge with others, you then are the, the catalyst for change with that.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. So I really appreciate you sharing your story. Um, and there's a few things within that I want to follow up with you on. Um, you talked about uh, motivation of, of, of gifted learners. What, do you, what, what is something, especially out, 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 I can just see in my head, there's different teachers or coordinators listening to this and saying that's... That's part of my struggle. I've got a teacher trying to do great things. We've maybe got a great curriculum. We've got some really awesome kids, but sometimes that motivation piece isn't there. What are some words of advice on how to get started addressing that in their classroom?
0: You know, a lot of the, the research I have comes down to what I call the power of pie. And while I like to eat pie, it doesn't mean yeah, pie. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's focused on From what students, I'm, I'm just for the record, I'm a qualitative researcher because I wanna hear directly from students. Um, um, So often, you know, surveys might be, and all of the quantitative stuff is wonderful too, but I want the voices of students to shine through. And students really, as I themed the data, preparedness, they wanna see that teachers have taken as much time as what they are being asked as students to put into their work. Um, So it was, uh, you know, students would say, we don't want just the normal teacher. And I was like, well, what is the normal teacher? Right, what is that And mean? this is across multiple individuals. And they're like, you know, the ones that just kind of stand up, do their lesson plan, read read the book, answer the questions. How sad is that, that that's what they consider being the normal teacher? Wow. So they want to see, so preparedness is one of them. Innovation. Um, they want to see that innovation. How can you be flexible to their needs? How can you... Um, You know, think of something that's outside of the box. So many of them are like, you limit me when you give me just a regular rubric that has a ceiling. That's where like um, Roberts and Inman's DAP tools, if you're not familiar with them, it's wonderful. It raises the ceiling to where the top of the rubric is thinking as a disciplinarian in the field. You know, so and then the E of PI is effort. Um, don't sit behind your desk. The role of the teacher um, Mm -hmm. in building relationships with students, that trust and that relationship building is really a huge motivating factor for our students. And probably one of the greatest things that they shared was how important feedback is to them. Some of them shared like, I don't even know if the teacher read my work. I, I have no idea. At the very best, they'd say we might get a good job or a smiley face. But that doesn't let them know how they're doing and they're learning. So when we provide feedback to our students, the student shared with me, they see that as a way to build a relationship with the teacher. The teacher took the time mm-hmm. to let me know what I did well and what I needed to continue to work on. They felt that that was building a relationship. And that motivated them to, to do more in that class. And let mm-hmm. me tell you, they also were very, very clear that they could turn their motivation on and off, you know, at the flip of a switch, depending on what they felt about that teacher. Um, I had one that was motivated to prove the teacher wrong in everything. And it was just (laughs) that, that student's mission to do so. Um, And then uh, you really, the the connection to the real world, I'd say for the teachers when, when this should be for all students, but gifted students in particular, if, if it's not tied to their own life, if they don't see the purpose behind the the learning, then they're going to start they're gonna spend more time figuring out how many how many things do I not have to complete and then do well on one thing to be able to bring the grade back up, right. type of a thing. So um, you know, when they see the purpose and the real world relevance, then all of a sudden, surprise, they're gonna be a bit more motivated.
1: Yeah, yeah. That definitely, and I could I could see the impact of that, and that's so great to see that um you're, I, I don't know. I feel like every teacher's got those kids in the program that it's like, man, I know there's something there. I just haven't accessed it yet. But now we know pi.
0: <laughs> you know, pi. prepare,
1: innovate and, and effort. Get effort. Mm-hmm. There you go makes me want some pie right now. (laughs) Uh, you also talked about collaboration and coaching,
0: Mm -hmm. um,
1: and that being a focus of the book that it's already written, right?
0: The collaboration, co-teaching and coaching is the first book that that's the, that 2021 NAGC practitioner. Oh yeah. The The award
1: winning. Hey, (laughs) yes. There you go. Yes.
0: And it's again, it it provides the structures for teachers and it's interesting. That book came out right. Kind of when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden people were separated and online and the need to collaborate and reach out and build capacity in one another to get through things really hit. And at the same time, the awareness for equity and gifted education Mm. really was coming forward. And, you know, our, our gifted students are gifted 24, seven, not just (laughs) from 11 to 1130 on Tuesdays, you know, so how are we building capacity in the teachers that the general education teachers and other professionals in the building that even when the gifted specialist or gifted teacher is not with those students, that their needs are still being met. So that's been a a wonderful journey to be on with um, Dr. Mofield and we have our, our coaching and gifted education book, which is kind of like the next tier up, mm-hmm. um, is coming out this summer. So we're really excited about that.
1: Man, that's so exciting and how much you've been able to produce and write. And and again, I think that's going to be a super uh, encouragement to our listeners here that this this could be a part of their journey as well.
0: 100%.
1: <laughs> Very cool. Well, this is great. Uh, you're also here to help out what Believe with some secondary and talking about secondary services. I think that's a huge topic in our field, especially within the state of Texas, figuring that out, making it work within the structures that we have. Uh, what are some of the topics you're tackling with that so that teachers can maybe learn a little bit more about the discussion outside of their own district with, with secondary services?
0: You know, I think what... Um, I've, I've had the pleasure of working in different states, but I also um, now I I consult with different states around the country as well. And in the field of like secondary services for gifted education, it's pretty common to say, oh, their needs are going to be met. There's going to be the honors classes they can get in in middle school. And then when they get to high school, they're going to have AP or IB and everything's going to be sunshine and roses. (laughs) And we know that that isn't the quick fix. You know, we have... A lot of complexities going on with our gifted learners. So I, th- the greatest driving factor really that, that I see is creating student e- agency for them. Again, it kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier in terms of we don't want our students, I mean, we want our students to be successful in our our class, mm-hmm. you know, but our goal is to really provide them with knowledge and capacity to be able to navigate the real world, right? So, how are we at the secondary level, where students are really beginning to develop their sense of identity and then assert their sense of identity? How are we giving them um, the opportunities to grow in that student agency? And that goes beyond just you take the AP class,
1: right? Right. That that is a paradigm that I think you know that is a, a, a unique challenge of. You know, what What do we do? What do we build out? To, and, and I do think that that's super helpful to talk about. What is the impact it's having on the student's identity, how they see themselves, how they're preparing for the world world? Because even if you're perfectly teaching advanced math, if that part doesn't come in, we might not be teaching those regulatory skills to prepare them to do something with that knowledge once they leave.
0: Absolutely. And we've seen time and time again, students who have been so successful through their secondary education because they've never really had to work through that productive struggle, right? Mm. Then they get to the university setting and they have a meltdown because for the first time they fail a test or they don't understand something right away and they don't have those self-regulation skills in place. They don't have that student agency, the the metacognition that's needed to, to really be aware of of how they're navigating that situation. So when we are not providing opportunities for our students to really work through that productive struggle, um, in many contexts of that word, then we are setting them up to potentially fail, initially anyway, when they get to the university setting. We have a lot of them that drop out of of college because it's the first time they face that sense of failure and they don't know how to to navigate that.
1: So maybe a first step for teachers who are, maybe we have some secondary teachers out there, coordinators, maybe the first step in taking a look at their secondary services might be reflecting upon, are we providing these type of opportunities for students to, to build these skills?
0: Absolutely, really focusing in on those psychosocial skills. You know, how are they adapting to change? How are they um, overcoming obstacles? what are their their skills with time management? How do they prioritize things? What is their perseverance? How are we providing them with opportunities to persevere?
1: Hmm. It's so convicting, and I do this a lot, but it it always strikes me when we talk about these skills with students. Also, just thinking about the teacher in the classroom, where are they at with perseverance, with that maybe self-efficacy or these other motivational things? And it just makes me think like, you know, Um, we need to encourage educators to also move into that space to model that and then having that impact their kids along the way. I know that's not exactly what you're saying, but I always, when I think about the struggle of unmotivated students, it's hard for me to not also think about this unique time and especially how difficult that is for some of our teaching friends.
0: I think that is, you bring up such a powerful point. As teachers, if we never show students, things that we struggle with as well, then are we really showing what real life is? Life is hard. Mm -hmm. It just is. So yes, I'm the first one and it takes some vulnerability, but I'm the first one that when, when I'm working with students, if I don't know the answer, I say "I, I don't know the answer to this, but you know what? I do know where I can go and start trying to find the answer to this. Um, if I'm having a bad day, I'll say, guys, you know, I'm having kind of a rough day today. You yeah. know, I might so just continuing to to model even some of that inner dialogue um, as appropriate and knowing your students and letting them see how you navigate is so powerful. Students are watching all the time, even when it looks like they might be back on their phone or mm-hmm. they might be like kind of gazing off into space or something. They are watching and listening to everything. And it's powerful when they see how how we navigate situations that ultimately they also will encounter.
1: This, is, this has been great, and I'm so encouraged. I, th- I think several people are going to walk away from your presentations very encouraged as well. I do have my fast five questions to start to, to wrap up this podcast, just so people can get to know the great Vicki Phelps a little bit more. Okay, are you ready?
0: I, I guess so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Question number one, you got a Saturday to do anything. What do you do and why? it's completely unbooked you've a day to yourself what a day you to do?
0: myself well i have to say typically 24/7 i'm a pretty busy lady yeah so um i live in east tennessee now day to myself if i if i just needed to refuel <laughs> i'm going for a hike i'm going for a hike okay. in the mountains um when i do that it's it's kind of like a reset for me in terms of Um, my brain goes a thousand miles an hour. It it allows me to kind of get back to the essence of who I am. And interestingly enough, when I do that, new ideas come to me. It's like I just become one with just not having distractions around me, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, That's, that's, that's amazing. Question two, if you had to describe yourself as a cartoon character or TV show character, who would you be and why?
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: There's a lot out there.
0: (laughs) There are a lot out there. Um, You know, I don't know why this just popped into my head. I love it. Roll with it. And this is going to show how old I am. And many of the listeners may not know who this character (laughs) is. But when I was younger, my favorite cartoon was Felix the Cat. And I will refrain from singing the song to the intro of that <laughs> right now. But Felix the Cat was this like super um, innovative cat that had this this bag of tricks. And no matter what situation the cat was in, he could reach into his bag of tricks, you know, mm-hmm. and pull out something. And I kind of like to think of how we are as teachers and and working with gifted learners we need to have our toolbox per se. And they're not like silly tricks that we're pulling out, but they're purposeful tools. Mm-hmm. So I like to think about how, are we, how, how, how do I have my own little bag of tricks that no matter what comes my way, I can at least adapt and innovate with what I do have.
1: That was a really good answer. That was solid. Uh, question number three. If you, could, if you could tell an earlier version of yourself one thing about how you learn, what would you say?
0: Wow, that's a really deep
1: question. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I have to say, I was, um, I was a, re- I was always been really hard on myself as a student. So for me, it's not necessarily the mode that I learn in because I I learn pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. But I would have to tell myself to to give myself grace and permission to not always succeed on the first try. To take risks and things that are scary for me and that it'll pay off in the long run.
1: Yeah, that's powerful stuff. That's not easy to do. Uh, question four, um, who has been an inspiration in your educational career specifically?
0: Oh, can I name two people?
1: I'll allow it. I'll allow oh,
0: okay, it. so the first person that brought me into gifted edu- education is Dr. Sally Thompson. Um, I will tell you on my interview to, to become a gifted specialist, Again, uh, I know when I worked with my, with my now undergraduate students, they don't know what the Farside comics are, so I apologize <laughs> if anybody listening doesn't know Farside comics. But on my interview, she put in front of me a Farside comic, if any of you have seen this, where it's a gifted learner, and it's, he's, he's pushing on a door that says pool, and it says like you know the name of the gifted school above it. And she said, explain to me what you see in this picture. And I thought, wow that's kind of a weird interview question, (laughs) but it had me really think through what is gifted and how is this being shown in this cartoon type of a thing. But Sally ended up um, hiring me and has just continued to, to mentor me and grow me in the field of gifted education. And then I also have to um, really pay homage to uh, Dr. Elizabeth Wilkins. She is the one that when I, uh, went back to earn my doctorate. Just And I just earned my doctorate in uh, December 2017. Congratulations. So just, Great job. So uh, just five years ago. Yeah. It's never too late to go back. Um, she, she always um, just said, what is your next step? What are you going to do next? Um, she believed in me when I didn't believe in myself sometimes. Mm. And, and I would thank her and she would, I mean, to this day, she even says, don't thank me, just pay it forward. You know, so, so that's, that's just a great mantra to live by as well.
1: It's just, every time I ask questions like this, especially in this podcast, we get moments like that Mm -hmm. where people have gone out of their way to invest in people Mm -hmm. and wanted encouragement, I hope, to teachers to do the same Mm -hmm. as you're saying. All right. Question number five. If you had to tell teachers to do one thing to develop student potential, what would it be?
0: develop relationships Hmm. relationships matter our students are not going to take risks in their learning they are not going to um, be vulnerable they are not going to um, allow true learning to come in and become one with who they are as an individual if they do not feel safe and seen and validated in the classroom
1: yeah that's that's great this is, this is great. If, if people want to know more about you and your work, how do they get plugged in? Maybe social media or where would you send them?
0: I love hearing from people. Like I said, I'm okay. super passionate in this field. So I love it when people reach out. Um, I am on Twitter at, at, at Dr. Vicki Phelps on Twitter. And um, I also, you could reach out to me at Milligan where it's V-A Phelps at um, Milligan.edu I always just say uh, VAP helps if that helps you uh, <laughs> <laughs> my initials and just happens is the last part of my there last name is helps so I like to VAP helps at Milligan.edu
1: well you definitely VAP helps a lot of people in this podcast <laughs> so we really appreciate that thank you so much for being here Vicki Phelps we're so glad you could join us if you're interested in learning more about today's guest and their work check out the links included with this podcast post And if you're not yet a member of the Texas Association for the Gifted and Talented, join our community by visiting txgifted.org and clicking on the Join Join tab. Ranzuli Learning is proud to support the Texas Association for the Gifted, their podcast and gifted education nationwide. Be sure to visit our website at ranzulilearning.com and sign up for your free trial to experience firsthand how we deliver a rigorous, personalized learning environment for all students pre-K through 12 and how we align our resources to the TEKS and provide student-driven project-based learning that unpacks the natural passions and abilities in all children.